Good morning, everyone. My name is Lucinda, and I'm going to be doing um, or reading the Bible for us this morning. Now, the Bible reading today is um, Exodus 33, verse 17 to 34, verse 8. So if you'd like to get that organised, and but before we, before we read, we'll pray. Loving God, thank you for your word that we can read and share with each other. Thank you for the assurance that we can find in these words in Exodus, that you go with us on every step of our journey, guiding us with your wisdom and grace. Give us the desire that Moses had to know your ways. In our difficult times, help us to open our eyes and ears and hearts so that we can know the path to take. Help us to trust that your compassion is our refuge and that we can find strength in your forgiveness and love. As we face what lies ahead and in moments of doubt, bring us closer to you, reminding us of your unshakable love. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Now, our, um, our reading starts in the middle of a, a part where Moses has been praying to God, and this is the response. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, And I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, where my glory passes by. I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So... Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground and at once worshipped. Good morning, everyone. My name's Dave, and I'm a member here at uh, Living Church. I'm also a retired Presbyterian minister uh, after serving the Lord in that capacity for over 30 years. I wanted to bring to you a, a message from God's Word this morning, which is a very powerful one to all of us, because it reminds us that we are sinful people. We're full of weakness, we fail, and we need encouragement, we need hope, we need strength from our Lord. Now, as you heard, this passage we're looking at begins sort of halfway through a narrative. Uh, there were all sorts of things that preceded. But Moses was there before God, and he was praying. And he was praying in a sense of desperation because the children of Israel had got themselves into the, well, we can only say an unholy mess. The Lord had been gracious to them. He'd brought them out of the bondage in uh, Egypt. There were all the miraculous signs and wonders. They went through the parting of the sea. They got into the wilderness. The Lord provided them with food and water and provided their every need. And all they did was grumble. Then they finally got to Mount Sinai. Moses went up the mountain to receive the law from God. And while he was up there, the people decided that they would get Aaron to make them a golden calf. They offered sacrifices to it. They worshipped it. And then we're told that they started to, I guess, party. And a term is used in that section that describes them as being out of control. The Lord spares us exactly what was going on. And it was at that point that Moses came down to them, saw what was happening. He had the Ten Commandments in his hand. He threw them to the ground in anger. And then there was a, a terrible loss of life as a direct result of what they'd done. And it was then that Moses went before the Lord and he prayed at the tent of meeting. And his cry was, Lord, please go with us. You see, his great fear was that after all of that, the Lord had brought them out into the wilderness, put them in that place at Mount Sinai, and that suddenly he was going to abandon them. And they'd be just like any other nation without the Lord in their very immediate presence. And so his prayer 
was one of, Lord, please go with us. And as we can see in the passage there, the Lord made that promise, yeah. I will do the very thing you have asked. I will go with you. And then he says to Moses something that's so incredibly important. He says, you can see there, I'm doing this because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. In other words, what he's saying to Moses, you, Moses, are right with me. I've been gracious to you. I've forgiven you. I love you. And all is well for you. But Moses had to wrestle with a really big problem. Even if God was going to go with them, how on earth could they survive as they continued on in their journey towards the promised land? How could they survive knowing what wretched people they were? See, when you think back to the way they behaved, they'd shown that they had very little understanding of gratitude to God. They had almost no self-control. They were treacherous toward God. They had little regard for one another because they could form that mob that would show great rebellion against God and encourage one another in that. And they certainly didn't trust God. They were in a mess. And in some ways, we can all identify with that. Not to the same degree, God willing. But we can all identify with that notion of not being very grateful, of being, well, treacherous toward God at times because we do the very opposite of what we know he wants us to do. We know what it is to have an indifference to people around about us and to get caught up in the crowd and do what everybody else does even though it's defiance of God. And we also have a a very clear understanding of what it is not to trust God. And so Moses, as he wrestled with that, realised that the solution for him and for the rest of the people had to be something outside of themselves. Within, there's only rebellion and foolishness and sin. Outside is our glorious God. You see, Moses realised that what he and the other people needed was more than somebody to sit down with them and have a coffee with them and say, I'm in support of you and I will encourage you and say not to worry Moses knew that their problem was so great, the only solution could be the solution that God would give. And so, as we can see in our passage, Moses asked, let me see your glory. Now, it's a a great prayer that he's praying there. He's saying, Lord, I've seen your glory. I've seen all sorts of spectacular things that you've done. But I need to see it in even greater measure. And bear in mind, the Lord's already assured him, Moses, you're right with me. 
I forgive you, you're at peace with me. But Moses realized he needed something for himself and for the rest of the people that would really strengthen them. So he asked, show me your glory. It's actually akin to a prayer that the Apostle Paul offered that he describes in Ephesians chapter 1. A prayer for the Ephesian Christians. He makes it very clear that they were Christian people. And then he says that his prayer for them was that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, what Paul is praying there, as Paul is here, I know you, Lord, I know you're great, I know you're wonderful, I need to know you even better. I need to have an expanded understanding of you. Because in a sense, what the realisation was, the bigger the mess of the life, the bigger the need to understand God. If there's nothing else you take away from this, Please take that away. The bigger the mess of the life, the bigger is the need to understand God. And so as Moses offered that prayer, Lord, show me your glory, the Lord's response was essentially one of saying, fine, I will do that for you, Moses. But what's really interesting is that The Lord then gives a couple of caveats to what he's going to do. He doesn't say, yes, I'll show you my glory, and then suddenly, bang, there's the Lord in all his glory before Moses. No, no, no. The Lord, first of all, says to Moses, as we can see here, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What the Lord is saying there is, Moses, first thing to remember, if I show you my glory, it's because I'm choosing to do it. You're not in charge here. You don't call the shots I do. If anybody's going to understand anything of my glory, it will be because I choose to give it. A very important point for all of us. Anything we understand of God, anything we understand of his glory is because he has chosen to give it to us. We didn't go on some brilliant exploration of God things and come up with who God is. He has revealed himself to us. That's the first thing. The next thing that God makes clear is, Moses, you're far too fragile as a sinful human being to see me in all my glory. If that was to happen, it would kill you. So, the Lord came up with a a wonderful scheme for him. He said, yep, I'll pass by you, but... I'm going to push you into a a cleft of a rock as I pass by. And as I pass by, I'll put my hand over you so you can't see me. And then after I've gone, 
then I'll take the hand away and you'll see my back, essentially, is what he tells us. Now, there's a really wonderful point that we get there, and it's one that should be written on our hearts. The Lord is saying to Moses, I am too glorious for you to be able to face. My burning holiness would destroy you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to protect you from me. I'm going to protect you from the wrath that should be coming from me to you because you are a sinner. Now, of course, the obvious implication of that, the obvious goal of that is when our Lord Jesus Christ steps in our place and he protects us from the wrath of God against our sin. But I think we need to be very, very clear what's happening here when we realise that God protects Moses essentially from himself. It is the glorious triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit acting as that protector. And then we move to the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We see exactly that. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are angry against our sin. And then to protect us, the Son takes upon himself humanity, being sent by the Father and upheld by the Holy Spirit. And he acts as that mediator for us so that there can be no condemnation for us because he has borne it for us. Our God protects us from his own wrath. And so, having set up the scheme, the Lord then tells Moses that he is to go and get some... uh, We can perhaps move to the next slide now, I think. Sorry, I can't read the back, so you have to... (laughs) have to take my paraphrases... The Lord told Moses to prepare the uh, tablets of stone that were going to have the Ten Commandments written on them again. And he points out to Moses that the previous ones were the ones that you broke. Just reminding Moses of the grumpy old man moment that he had. And the Lord told Moses that he was to get ready to have that instruction on what was going to happen for the future of the people of God, which in itself was a great encouragement. He's really saying, there is a future for you, folk. Yeah, you're in a mess, but I'm taking steps to show you that there is going to be a future. Then the Lord told Moses, I want you to come up on the mountain all alone. And he tells him, no more people with you, not even animals on the mountain. It's just you, Moses, and me. Now, that's a a really important point that the Lord is making for us there. That as as we would want to perhaps perceive the greatness and the glory of our Lord to give ourselves some encouragement so that perhaps we can give encouragement to others as well. 
It's something that happens very much alone. Just me and the Lord, me grasping the greatness and the holiness and the goodness of my God. And it's interesting that the Lord gave Moses all sorts of things to do before he went up there. He had to get himself ready. He had to get those stone tablets. He had to go to the right place for the Lord. For us, we we don't go to any special place. We don't have to chisel any stone tablets out to meet with the Lord. But what we do need to do is make use of the means that God provides for us. Prayer. Bible reading. Gathering with God's people. If we want to have that great encouragement in the mess that our life can so often be, we need to make use of all those things and then we come before our God as an individual before the living God to receive his encouragement to us. So it's at this point we get to the main event. The Lord descending and coming down to Moses. And what's really intriguing to me as we read that, we see that the Lord came down. And as the Lord came down, we know that the things happened that the Lord said would happen. Moses would be shoved into the rock and the Lord had passed by, the Lord's hand was over him, hand taken away and then Moses would get to see the, the glory of God and so on. But if you were an artist and you were waiting with your sketch pad in hand and your pencil and you were going to give a bit of a sketch of what Moses saw there, you would suddenly realise you get absolutely nothing. And there's a couple of reasons why we get absolutely nothing of the description of what Moses saw here. One is possibly that it was so glorious that he had no words to describe it. Although we do see other parts of the Bible where there were people seeing some sort of appearance of the Lord and they were able to describe it. It may be that the Lord did such an effective job with his hand that Moses saw next to nothing, so there was nothing to report. And that's another possibility. But neither of those things really matter. Because it's made very plain to us that whatever Moses saw paled to absolute insignificance beside what he heard. Might need the next slide, sorry. And what, the Lord, what Moses heard, as we can read there, is the Lord proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generations. What was happening there is that the Lord made his appearance to Moses, but he knew that 
if Moses just saw something, as with all of us, if we see a picture, we tend to read into it what we're thinking. When we hear words, as we get words from the Bible, we have a certain precision about them. And what we're given here is a very precise description of the character of God. You know, we often hear about celebrities and you know, people know all about the celebrity. And then there'll be somebody saying, this is what they're really like. Well, this is the message to us of what God is really like. This is his character. He's compassionate, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, he's gracious, he's loving. And as we reflect on that character of God, we need to just see the contrast between him and the gods of our age and the gods of ages gone by. A great Old Testament scholar, uh, Frank Anderson, described the Lord as the kind and the sensitive Lord. I think that's a brilliant description of our God. The Old Testament scholar was describing him in terms of the, uh, the gods of the Old Testament era. They were brutal. They were harsh. But in comparison, our Lord was the, the gloriously kind and sensitive one. But when we think about the gods of our age, we have to remember that the gods of our age are cruel and brutal and callous as well. You know, whether they be the ideologies of politics from the right or the left, whether they be the philosophies or the general culture in which we live, there's a, a real brutality and harshness and callousness about it. And if they become our gods, then we'll find ourselves being ground down over and over. But on the other side, we have our glorious Lord, who in his great kindness and sensitivity understands us and understands exactly what we need as we go through our very messy lives. Now, doesn't really need to be said, but obviously that description we get there is incarnated in the person and work of our Lord Jesus. As we look to our precious Saviour, Jesus Christ, we realise, yeah, he's the one who is compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. And yet so often as people are confronted by the reality of Christ, the reality of our great and glorious God, there's, there's a rejection of him. You know, some people reject him because, well, they just think, I, I don't have sufficient sinfulness to need such a saviour. Such a one as Jesus Christ who would actually live in my place because my life is such a, a wreck. Jesus Christ who would die in my place on the cross to receive the punishment I deserve. 
remember a woman saying to me once, I, I would never demean myself by groveling before God for forgiveness. People would think I don't need a saviour like Jesus who would defeat death for me. I will manage perfectly well on my own. And yet other people would find a problem with the reality of Christ being this gloriously compassionate one because they would say, well, yeah, I don't mind a little bit of compassion and mercy upon myself, but there are other people. I really don't want them to have mercy and compassion. And it's interesting that even Jonah the prophet fell into that. Remember Jonah's message to the city of Nineveh? In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And yet, the Lord showed them mercy as they repented. And if I could paraphrase Jonah after that, he said, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. I, I knew you would do that, Lord, because that's what you're like. And of course, for those of us who know the wretchedness and the brokenness of our lives, as we understand how often we've shown crass ingratitude, as we recognise how often we have failed to show any sort of loyalty to our Lord, as we have got out of control in our disposition, as we have not cared about people around about us, as we see that description of Jesus, we know that is exactly what I need. I need my Jesus to be that compassionate and merciful one. And also, very, very importantly, as we would interact with the world as Christians, we need to be carrying a message that says the one that we're on about is more compassionate and loving and merciful than you would ever imagine because that is precisely what the world needs. And we need to be ever increasingly clear about how glorious our Saviour is. Now you might have noticed there's a, almost like a, a tension in the statement that we have because the first part of it says that he's compassionate and merciful and so on and goes on and on about how forgiving and all sorts of sins are forgiven and then we have at the end yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished and of course that's true those who completely reject the Lord will be punished but then our thoughts go but I'm a guilty one. And of course, that tension that we see there is beautifully resolved in the cross of our Lord Jesus. Where the merciful and compassionate one is also the punished one so that sinners like us can be forgiven and know everlasting peace. So as we reflect on this, we, we realise that for Moses, 
who seemed to really get what the Lord was on about here, there was this sudden realisation, yep, the people of Israel, they have behaved poorly, their attitudes have been appalling, but our God is so great and he is so good that he's able to deal with it. And for us as well, as we look at our lives and perhaps regret no end of things, as we look at our attitudes and think, how on earth can I ever change? The answer lies in how astoundingly good is our Lord. And as Moses got that, we can see there is he, well, he bowed on the ground cast himself down before the Lord. He was a very old man. That was no mean feat, but he seemed to do it a lot. And what we need to remember is that sometimes you see people in the Old Testament in particular, but also in the New, bowing themselves down on the ground before the Lord in the sudden realisation of how sinful they are. That's not what's happening here. Moses is bowing down before the Lord because he is blown away by the goodness of God. How could God be so astoundingly good that he could deal with ratbags like us? And that's what the Lord is calling all of us to do as well. To be able to perceive the perfect compassion, the perfect love, the perfect mercy that he holds out to utterly undeserving people. And when we get that, yeah, we can bow before our Lord, we can rejoice and we can worship him and say how wonderful he is that he would do such things for us. But we also have within that the powerful motivation for us to look at the world around about us. Look at other people and say, have I got a message for you? Because so often we can look at our world, we can look at our friends even, maybe our families and think, these people are are so far from the Lord, they're they're so rebellious, they're so hard-hearted that nothing could penetrate. Well, the answer is, the goodness of God is able to penetrate. And there is glorious hope that we need to be caught up in. But it also means, and this is so significant, whatever mess your life might be in at the moment, whatever failings you're looking at, whatever hurts you've perpetrated against other people and so on. As you would come to Christ, as you would rest in him, today is a new beginning. A new beginning where there is hope, there is peace and there is joy because our Lord is able to deal with even the greatest sinners. Will you pray with me?
Loving Father, you are the God of our Lord Jesus. You are the Father of glory. And we pray very simply that you would give to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you, our God, better, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would understand the hope of the calling that you give to us. We ask it, dear Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.